0: Uh, Happy Sunday to all of you, happy Thanksgiving to all of you, and now I'm pretty sure I am legally 100% in the clear to say Merry Christmas to all of you. I believe legally that's allowed now. Uh, If we haven't met yet, my name is John, I am one of the pastors here, and I was reflecting this last week on how this Christmas is going to be my family and I's sixth Christmas here at Soul City Church. We have been around this church for a little while, and one of the things that I most look forward to at our church around this time of year is not just Jingle Jam and Christmas Store. It's not just our Christmas gatherings, although all those things, they're going to be amazing. I highly encourage you to take part in all of them. But, but one of the things I really look forward to is that around this time of year, we as a church we begin to pray about what it might look like for each of us to go above and beyond in our regular generosity in order to truly bless others above and beyond this holiday season through our end-of-year financial campaign. This is something we do every year, and this year we're doing that again through a campaign that we are calling By Faith. This year, as a church, all of us together, we are seeking to raise $325,000 to help support three specific ministry areas within our church. The first of them being, we want Soul City to be a house of prayer. We know that one of the greatest needs right now, not just within our church, one of the greatest needs in our world is a need for prayer, and that is evidenced by the fact that we have a line wrapped around the corner outside of our prayer hall after every single one of our gatherings. And so we want to make more space for more people in our church to receive prayer, to to be brought into the loving and healing presence of God. And so a portion of what we raise in this campaign is going to go towards expanding that physical prayer hall space. But that's not all. We also want to make Soul City a house of hospitality. We believe that our God is a God who welcomes people in. And so we want people's first impression when they walk through the door of our church to be a representation of that warm, welcoming, hospitable presence of God. And so another portion of what we raise during this campaign is going to go towards renovating our cafe space. I'm also calling this the More Coffee Initiative, which I'm pretty sure Absolutely anyone can get behind that. And then last, but, but certainly not least, we want our church to continue to be a house of hope. O- over the last few years, we have seen over 130 different individuals walk in to our physical house of hope space located right here at 1150 West Adams. And they have been met with resources, with care, with legal, financial, employment support. I, I know from serving firsthand in the house of hope the transformation that occurs there in people's lives is absolutely game-changing for them. And we don't want that to stop. And so a portion of what is raised is going to go towards deepening and widening our resource center in the House of Hope so that more people can be met with hope, hospitality, and healing, especially in the moments and in a time of year when they might need it the most. So that's it, a house of prayer a house of hospitality, and a house of hope. This is what we believe God is calling our church to be in this season by faith. And so I want to encourage you to be a part, to give to this end-of-year campaign by faith. And like I said earlier, this is not my first end-of-year campaign here. I've had the privilege of taking part in several now at this point. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but sometimes for me, when it comes to giving, I can get caught up in thinking that whatever I'm able to give isn't really going to make that much of a difference, especially in a campaign of this size. But what the year-end campaign always reminds me of is actually something that I believe to be true about the church as a whole, and that is that we can do so much more together than we can individually. It's actually all of us doing our part that God uses to do something incredible in our church and in our city. And around the world. And so, if you are feeling invited, if you're feeling prompted at all to give to support this end of year campaign by faith, then you can scan the QR code that is on the screen behind me, or you can scan the QR code that's on the bookmark tucked away in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. That is a way that you can give to this uh, end of year by faith campaign. And like I said, the idea of an end of year financial campaign is that this would be above and beyond a regular practice of giving. And there are so many of you who regularly give at this church and we are so, so grateful for the way you consistently pour out generosity. And if you're here this morning and you're ready to give, there's a few ways you can do that. As you can see, our host team, they are beginning to pass the buckets. You can give in that way. Or you can scan the QR code that is on the screen behind me or tucked away in the Bible and you can give in that way. That's a way that you can set it up online. You can give in that way as well. As the buckets are being passed, I really do hope that that all of you had a happy, and I don't think you can really say healthy Thanksgiving, at least not for me personally, that's a confession, Uh, but I don't know if anyone in the room realizes this, but this weekend was not just Thanksgiving weekend, do you realize that? At least not in my life, but this weekend, perhaps more important than Thanksgiving, this weekend was the weekend that my beloved Michigan Wolverines took on the Ohio State Buckeyes, and for the second year in a row, we have been delivered to the promised land. Let me tell you, yesterday was a good, good day. It was a good, good day in the kingdom of God. Listen, I, I, I if you can't tell, I really, really love... Michigan football. Uh, I've I've been a Michigan fan pretty much my entire life. I grew up in Ann Arbor for a little while. I've been going to games since I was a kid, and one of my favorite Thanksgiving weekend traditions on Saturday is to watch the Michigan Ohio State game because I have a deep and passionate love for Michigan football. And so you can imagine my dismay when a few years ago uh, my wife Erin and I we joined a small group here at Soul City. And we started to get really close with this one other couple that was in the small group. And listen, they are great. Like, they're super fun. They're super nice. They live down the street from us. They were in the same season of life. We're starting to get real close, like lifelong friends close. And so you can imagine my horror the day I found out that they were Ohio State fans. Like, truly, I'm not joking. I was devastated. Because if there is one thing I am more passionate about than my love for Michigan football, it is my hatred for all things Buckeyes. And I know I'm a pastor, I'm not supposed to use the H word, but truly, truly despise it. And you really can't blame me because this is just how the world works, people. Like, this is just how God organized the universe. If you are a Michigan fan, you are supposed to hate Ohio State. Just like if you're a Bears fan, you are supposed to hate the Packers. If you are a Cubs fan, you are taught to hate the Cardinals. If you are a Taylor Swift fan, you have to hate Jake Gyllenhaal, John Mayer, Joe (laughs) Jonas, Harry Styles, and most importantly, Scooter Braun. That's just the way you have to do it. That's the way that it works. You see, as a Michigan fan, I was actually told, I was taught my entire life, that I had to be against Ohio State. And then I find out that my new besties are in league with the devil. And when I found out that my new close friends were Ohio State fans, I was confronted with a really, really difficult question. And the question is this. How do you learn to love who you've been led to hate? We're not just talking about sports today. (laughs) Yes? Now, obviously this question is leading us somewhere, because I actually think this is a question that each and every one of us probably faces on a daily basis in some area of our lives. My guess is you've probably felt recently, maybe when you've watched the news, maybe when you've scrolled through your feed, maybe when you saw all the political ads during the midterms, remember those? Maybe even when you sat around your Thanksgiving table this week. My guess is you probably felt how things like hostility and animosity and sometimes downright hatred, they kind of seem like they're dominating the conversation right now. A recent study from the Anti-Defamation League showed something that is fascinating and, more than that, truly tragic. This study showed that numerous minority groups in the US right now are actually experiencing more hate speech and online discrimination year over year. A long list of groups, LGBTQ, Muslim, Jewish, Asian American, African American, Hispanic, Native, and Indigenous Americans across the board are actually experiencing more hate speech, more discrimination year over year, rather than less. Some of you know this firsthand. And you also know that often it doesn't stop at words, does it? But what happened, the tragedy in Colorado Springs two weeks ago is evidence of this. What happened just this last week at Walmart in Virginia is evidence of this, that hateful words often lead to hateful actions, and sometimes it feels like it keeps happening more and more and more. And and, and part of the the biblical answer when it comes to a reason for all of this, part of the reason for this is because we as humans are sinful. We we are. We are imperfect human beings who, who are capable of great good, but also who sometimes have a bent toward things like animosity, division, and even downright evil. But but to only speak about it as our sinful nature is to blame would actually be to oversimplify it, because we also now live in a time with the rise of social media where there are multi-billion dollar platforms that are capitalizing and profiting on the lesser parts of our nature by amplifying voices of hate and derision, thereby creating more hate and derision. This is not a controversial statement. This is actually part of the business plan. Ezra Klein, in his book, Why We're Polarized, I think nails it. He says this, look at this. Toxic systems, like social media, compromise good individuals with ease. They do so not by demanding we betray our values, but by enlisting our values such that we betray each other. I don't know about you, but for me, lately it's felt like the majority of the videos that the algorithm kicks me, the, the, the majority of posts that I see or news broadcasts that I watch, they are not teaching me who to love. They're telling me who to hate. They're telling me who I'm supposed to hate. And this doesn't just happen online. The church, certain churches are to blame for this. We are to blame for this as we sit around our tables and in our friend groups. We actually live in a world now where division and polarization and us versus them thinking is actually being discipled into us. We are being led and encouraged toward things like bitterness and contempt and cynicism, specifically against those who are different from us specifically against those who live on the other side of the city or who sit on the other side of the aisle. And all of this creates a real difficult situation for those of us who want to follow Jesus. Because to follow Jesus first and foremost is to be a person of love. To follow Jesus is to be a person of radical, generous, humble, compassionate, boundary-breaking love. And yet we live in a culture that disciples us toward hate. And so how do we learn to love when we have been led to hate? And I think it's this question and this tension that the words that we're going to look at today from Romans chapter 12 can speak so, so powerfully. And so if you would, go ahead, grab a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. You're going to need one of those today. And open it to Romans chapter 12. That is on page 920. If you're in the Soul City Bible, if you're worshiping with us online, go ahead, grab your own Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 12. If you have been with us over the last several weeks, then you know that we have been in a series that we're calling Bout That Life, in which we have been walking verse by verse through this 12th chapter of Romans. And to catch you up a little bit, or maybe to remind you, this text, Romans, that we're looking at, this originally was a letter written by one of the earliest church leaders and founders, a guy named Paul to one of the very first christian churches in the world in the ancient city of rome and specifically this section that we are going to look at in the letter in this section paul he is reminding these early christians that faith in jesus is not just something that we believe in our minds and hearts but this faith is actually something that is supposed to be lived out in the world And we as a church, we want to be about that life. We want to be about that Jesus-following way of life in every area of our lives. And so we've been walking through this text verse by verse. And we're actually going to finish out the chapter today together. But we are going to start by reading in verse 9. Read along with me. It says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in what? Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, upon reading this first section of this passage of Scripture, it kind of sounds like Paul is just giving a fire hose of every possible instruction he can think of for how to love. Like everything his parents or Jesus or God ever told him, he's just like firing it off at will, like love one another, honor one another, practice hospitality, rejoice with those who rejoice, boom, 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 boom. And that's one way of reading this text. You you actually could take these instructions that Paul has given and you could apply them in your life in a general way. And I would actually argue that would be a faithful reading of this passage. But also, I think that reading would actually miss a specific layer to something that Paul is really getting at here. And it's a layer that I think is incredibly important, especially for the times that we're living in. But in order for us to understand this layer of context, we're going to have to put on our Bible nerd glasses. So if you will excuse me. Okay, I'm ready. I always wear mine. I don't know what to tell you. Um, So can I just do a little bit of historical context? Is that okay? Just a tiny bit. So... In the first century, when this text was written, the city of Rome, it was one of the largest, most powerful, most diverse cities in the world. And so it would make sense that the church in Rome, uh, this community of Christians, it would match that demographic. So there were folks within this church from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of traditions and socioeconomic statuses and previous religious systems as well. But, but specifically, within this early church, there were two main groups of people that Paul was writing to specifically. One group was a group of Jewish Christians. These were people who had been brought up and had been educated within the Jewish religion, but recently, by way of Jesus, had come to convert to Christianity. And then you also had a group of what's called Gentile Christians. And Gentile was sort of this catch-all term for a many different non-Jewish traditions, people who grew up in any different number of pagan religions. But these people as well, by way of Jesus, had also recently converted to Christianity. And now you have these two groups attending the same church together, living lives together. And that was really difficult for these groups Because something you might not know about their history is that for generations, Jews had been taught to think of Gentiles as their enemy. And for generations, Gentiles had been told that Jewish people were evil and wanted nothing but their bad. And these two groups had been warring against each other, going all the way back to the Old Testament. So so you see what's happening here. When you have two very, very different groups of people thrown into the same community, especially when those two different groups of people have a history of animosity and war and hatred against one another, when they're thrown into the same community, they're not always going to see eye to eye. And it is to this specific context and community that Paul wrote the words that we just read. Do you see what I'm getting at here? Well, what I'm getting at is that the words of Romans 12 are not just a general treatise on love. These are not just a fire hose of instructions for how to love the people who already love you. They're not just talking about how do you love the people who you already love anyway, but this is specific pastoral wisdom for what it looks like to love specifically those that you have been taught and led to hate. And so what I want to do is I actually want to read that passage again, and I'm going to keep going through the end of the chapter, and this time Don't think about this in a general sense. When I read it this time, don't imagine the people that you already love in your life. When I read it this time, I want you to think about the person that you don't love. I want you to think about the ideology or the group of people with the ideology that you actually really struggle to love. And I want you to apply it to them. Sound good? Let's give it a shot. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Says love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. live at peace with who? Everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Little side note. Kind of sounds like Paul's suggesting like a passive-aggressive way of getting back at your enemy here, doesn't it? Like, oh, you be really nice to them. They're going to hate that. (laughs) But actually, uh, another little layer of context for you. Within the Scriptures, burning coals, a.k.a. incense, was actually a symbol for the presence of God. So what Paul's really saying here is if your enemy is hungry feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing that, you will usher them and yourself into the presence of God together. Then Paul wraps it up and says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know about you, but reading it in that context imagining the people that are hard for me to show love to, it changes how I read that text a little bit, doesn't it? Like, it feels a little bit more challenging when you hear honor one another above yourself and you don't just think about your spouse or your partner or your best friend, the people who you naturally would want to lift up and honor and serve, but instead you think about your in-law or your uncle or whatever family member You have that at Thanksgiving you were reminded once again that you two sit 100% on the opposite sides of the aisle politically. And so the majority of your conversations with them are either you two arguing, you talking bad about them behind their back, or you ignoring them altogether, that type of person. And what Romans 12 is challenging us to do, what does it look like for us to actually honor that family member, to honor them and serve them above ourselves? Like, it just feels a bit more challenging to me when practice hospitality doesn't just apply to my best friends, but it also applies to that neighbor that is so frustrating because all they do is complain about you to the HOA board. But instead, what Romans 12 is saying, what does it look like for you to open the doors of your house even to them and to maybe begin to build a bridge, maybe actually seek to understand them a little bit. I know for me, when I hear things like love must be sincere, I think about some of the pastors that I follow online. I follow several pastors that I'm, I'm kind of connected with online in, in one way or another. And even though we are in the same line of work, for, there are several of them who we, on certain issues, sit on very different sides of the theological spectrum. And we sometimes have very different approaches to the work of pastoring and to the work of teaching. And I was really convicted when when studying this passage this week, and I read, Love must be sincere. I felt a conviction around this group of people because often the reality is when I run into them a couple times a year or when we interact online, I'm super cordial. I'm like really nice, kind Pastor John. And pretty often when they post something online, I will sit there and silently judge it. Or I'll send it to a friend, and I'll talk about all the things that are wrong with it, and I'll tear it apart. That is not sincere love. And these aren't even people who are my enemies. These are people who are on the same team as me. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to be my best friends. Loving your enemy, like Jesus taught us to do, what we're really talking about here, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with that person. It doesn't mean that you actually have to excuse their behavior or their words. Sometimes loving someone is actually having a difficult conversation. Sometimes loving somebody is wrestling with your disagreements, holding them accountable for the pain that their words can cause. But what Paul is saying here is love has to be the engine. Love has to come first in these conversations. What Paul is talking about, like I said, is exactly what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5. He told us, he did this teaching on love your enemies, and in it he says this, which is so tough. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? In other words, sinners are doing that. Everyone does that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? In other words, the natural flow of things in our world, like the natural current of our culture, if you just ride the wave, it will lead you to love those who are easy for you to love and hate those who are easy for you to hate. But what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, is that the Christian life, the life of following Jesus is often counter-cultural. To follow Jesus actually means to swim upstream and work against the ways that the world will often lead us to go. The Christian life doesn't just say, I'm going to love those who are easy for me to love. The Christian life actually goes one radical step further and says, I will do everything within my power to love those, even those who are easy for me to hate. And I actually think that's how you could sum up Paul's entire directive here love those who are easy to hate. Love those who you can't stand. Love those who you would rather just ignore. Love those who you constantly find yourself in arguments with. Love those who are easy to hate. And let me tell you from experience, that is hard work. Like that takes intention. That actually takes focus. And most importantly, that takes the Holy Spirit taking up residence within my perfect self and enabling me to love with a grace and a patience and a kindness and a sincerity that I don't have on my own. And ultimately, I think that's the kind of love that changes things, don't you? Like, this is the kind of love that actually can heal things. This is the kind of love that can heal your family. The kind of love that can heal our country. This is the kind of love that heals The church and transforms things, not just loving those who love you back, not just loving those who you naturally already love anyway, but truly taking the greatest commandment seriously. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, and what he might have left out was, whoever your neighbor is, and especially if your neighbor is someone who you would rather ignore or not talk to or pretend doesn't exist, Love your neighbor because something that Jesus got, something that Paul got, and something I desperately hope we can get, Soul City, is that love is actually our greatest weapon against evil. Hate is not our greatest weapon against evil. Cynicism, my sarcastic comments, that's not my greatest weapon against evil. Right arguments aren't the greatest weapon. Love always has been, always will be our greatest weapon against the evil of this world. End of story. And so the last thing that I want us to do in this gathering together, normally we might have a song at this time, but the last thing we're actually going to do together is I want to send you off today with something called a benediction. And for those of you who grew up in maybe different church backgrounds, you might understand this language. But essentially, a benediction, the purpose of it throughout church history, has been to bless people as they go to be the people of God in the world. I want to be really, really clear about something. The purpose of this message was not for you to walk away with wise insights. The purpose of this message was, was not for you to receive good ideas. So you walk away and say, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll think about that one. The hope of this message is that you, Soul City, would actually go and do these things. That you would leave here today and as much as you are capable, you would love those in your life who are easy for you to hate that you would swim upstream, that you would go countercultural with the surprising love of Jesus that can transform and heal our world. And so I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand, if you would, if you're in this room. And I'd love, whether you are with us online or in this room, I'd love for you to take a posture with your hands, your palms facing up, and this is just a posture of receiving. This is a posture that says, God, as you are instructing me, I'm open, I'm available to actually really go and live this out. I'm ready to be about that life. So, like I said, this will be the final thing that we do together, and then I'll send you off. But Soul City, I just pray that you would receive these words, that you would receive this call from God today. Soul City. May your love truly be for all, even those who are easy to hate. May your love for one another be as sincere as God's love for you. May your love for one another be as devoted as God's love for you. And may God's love, living in you and working through you, lead you to live in harmony with others, As you go, I pray that you would answer the call to be people of love this week. Serve the Lord and serve others. Practice generosity and hospitality, even to those who may not deserve it. When you find yourself feeling attacked this week, may you answer that attack with love. May you live out a love that meets people where they're at both in weeping and in rejoicing, regardless of the reason. Live a love that sees every life as another note in the beautiful song God is singing. Live a love that seeks peace and unity above your own rightness and preference. Live a love that is humble Remembering that there is no person who is disqualified from God's loving presence and therefore no person should be disqualified from yours. Know that it is possible, soul city. It is possible to stand against evil while still loving and standing for people. Resist the temptation to give in to petty disputes. Do not be a person who adds to the growing division and polarization. But in a world of burning bridges, may you, Soul City, be bridge builders. Always remember that our greatest weapon in the battle against evil is and always has been love. Now go, Soul City, and live as people of love.